0: This year, uh, we're exploring what it looks like uh, to cultivate intimacy with God. That's what we said at the very beginning of the year. Our hope was throughout this year is how do we as uh, a church and as uh, individual followers of God cultivate intimacy with God? And part of that exploration, we've been studying Exodus in a series that we're calling Deliverance. Because the whole point of the Exodus is that God would live with his people But for that to happen, he had to free them from their enslavements. And that's where we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 14. God had just delivered Israel out of Egypt and they're making their way out. And that's where we pick up uh, in our text. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Exodus chapter 14. If you don't, you can raise your hand. one will be brought to you. Exodus 14, we'll start in verse 5. I'll read, this is kind of a long section, but it's just, it's it's the, I think it's the the like culmination of the Exodus story. This is it, this is it right here. And uh, I I just want to read it because I think it's a beautiful narrative. So Exodus chapter uh, 14 verse 5, and I'll read to chapter 15 verse 2. So follow along with me, I'm reading out of the NIV. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled... Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with uh, the other chariots of Egypt with the officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped near that place next to that place. (laughs) I don't know how to read those words. No one does. I mean, maybe one of you does, but not me. Verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, what Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve Egypt? It would have been better for us to serve Egypt than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you only need to be still. And the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move. <laughs> this is this is really funny interaction, by the way, if you're not catching it. This is really, Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord and when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of the Lord Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Israel and Egypt, or Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud broke, brought darkness so that one side, uh, and uh, dark to one side and light to the other, other, so neither the other all night long. I'm sorry. Neither went near the other on island. I'm getting excited about what's coming next. Sorry, I'm reading ahead. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariot so that they had difficult driving. And the Egyptians said, let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and the chariots and the horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen and the entire army of Pharaoh had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through on on the, the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in his servant Moses. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this this text, this this account, this story, and I pray, God, the things that in our own lives would would uh, ravish us, destroy us, continue and continue to go after us. May these things be um, deep-seated uh, thought patterns, addictions, injustices, all these things, Lord. I pray that you would in your own powerful way bring freedom. You have freed us, Lord, in Christ, and you're moving us toward greater freedom. And so I pray, God, that we would receive that by faith, and that you would really be glorified today. Be exalted, Jesus. Your victory, may it be exalted. I submit all of my capacities to you. ask that you would lead us, teach us by your spirit. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Today I want to talk about what it's like to leave something. It could be something that you have, that you love, but you know and you realize it's destroying you. It could be something that you hate, but it has become so familiar to you that you don't know what life would look like without it. What I wanna talk about is what it means to be free. What it means to be truly free. To be free of an addiction, a destructive relationship, a damaging habit, a disorder. What does it feel like to be free? If you know anything about being free from something that has held you down for any length of time or destroyed part of your life, you know that freedom is a process. Freedom takes time. Freedom is a journey from one place to another. Freedom is a journey from addiction to sobriety. Freedom is a journey from codependency to interdependency. From death to life. One way of being and relating and living to another way of being and relating and living. And when you're leaving that thing, that habit, that relationship, that old life, sometimes when you're leaving, you look back. Sometimes you look back. Or sometimes... Your newfound freedom is so scary that you want to run back to the safety of what's familiar. Or sometimes the thing you left comes after you. The Exodus story is a story of a movement, a journey towards greater freedom. The children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and now after God demolishes Pharaoh, Pharaohs hold on them through 10 devastating plagues. Finally, the death of their firstborn, and God saves Israel through Passover, as we learned last week. Israel is finally like, go, "Get out of here, finally, Let, get out of here. Get out. They're free. They start walking out. Imagine them walking out, just picking up stuff on the ground and grabbing their like their leftover meal and like their to-go basket. Like they're leaving. They're free, and they leave the border of Egypt into their newfound freedom. Imagine that joy. I mean, 400 years, generations of slavery gone. They're free, and it's almost unbelievable the euphoria that it must feel like to be free like that. They're free. But in chapter 14 the record scratches well they're almost free. It's like like that's no they're they're free they're actually no they're almost free. Actually, the departure from Egypt is not the end. It's really only the beginning of a long struggle for freedom and well-being. Because being free and remaining free is not easy. The Exodus shows us the beauty of initial freedom and the reality of progressive freedom. It shows us the beauty of that moment when you're free, that moment when Pharaoh finally says, get out of here, you're free. And God says, told you, go, go, get, get ready, leave now. And there's that initial beauty of freedom. It shows us that Exodus, we learned that last week, but it also shows us the reality of this progressive freedom that when we're free, we're not fully free or we're moving towards greater freedom. And because of that I, I believe the Exodus shows us, us, you and I today, what being a Christian is like. Being a Christian feels like having been set free from sin and death, but also at the same time it feels like a long journey towards freedom. Can anyone be a witness to this? Right? It feels like I'm set free from sin and death and I am on a journey, a long journey, towards freedom. That's what being a Christian feels like. Being a Christian is being free and moving towards freedom at the same time. I'm free and moving towards freedom. And this is why the Exodus story teaches us what it means like, to me, means and feels like to be a Christian. It's like, I'm free. I, I can leave Egypt. Well, kinda. You're moving toward it. You're free, but you're not all the way free. You're free from sin and death, but you're still moving towards greater freedom. And one of the reasons this is, this is not easy I mean, this isn't the, the life of faith, the life of following Jesus, the life of being a Christian, it is not easy. And then one of the reasons why it's not easy is because we have a very confused sense of what freedom is. Our understanding of freedom today is, is that we have the right to do what we want without any social or moral constraint. Freedom is an absence of constraint. That's how we think about freedom. Freedom is I can do what I want. I'm free to do what I want, what I want to. No rules. No one telling me what to do. I'm free to be me. I can do me. Let me be me. This is what we think freedom is. Best summed up by Elsa and Frozen, we know this. <laughs> no right, no wrong, no rules for me, what? I'm free. This is the song, this is the mantra, this is it. This is the mantra of our day. This is what freedom is. You know what freedom is? No rules, no, nothing's wrong, nothing's right. There's no. I'm free, I can do what I want. That's freedom, that's what we think freedom is. But the late American author and secular prophet David Foster Wallace talked about how the need, actually our need to obey every impulse and gratify every desire is actually like a child's mentality. Any kid can do what they want when they want to. And when we think we can do the same thing, and, we th- and when we think we have the right to do this, I can do what I want when I want to. When you think that you can do that, and when you think you have the right to do that, he says it like this in an interview. He says, it's like, I, I, I grab this cup and goes, I want to take this cup because I have this cup and I want to throw it right now. And I have every right. I should throw it. I can do what I want. He says, we actually see that in children. And that's not Happiness. He says, quote, that feeling of having to obey every impulse and gratify every desire seems to me to be a strange kind of slavery. Yes. Nobody talks about it as such, though. See, I told you he's a secular prophet. No one's talking about this. Why in the world? Why do you think you have the rights to do what you want when you want to? That's, he actually calls that, that's a, that's a strange kind of slavery. And our culture of freedom is understood as merely, merely being free from something. Free from oppression, free from constraint, free from moral standards that would seek to repress us. The aspect of liberation, as wonderful as it is, is only half of the story. What Exodus teaches us is not just freedom from, but freedom for. For worship, for flourishing, for growth in obedience to God. See, humanity was not designed to be free from all constraint. Slaves to nothing but our own passions and impulses. As DFW says, that is a strange kind of slavery. The children of Israel are moving from serving an oppressive master, Pharaoh, to serving a liberating and living God, Yahweh. It's a movement from one kind of servitude to another kind of servitude. The Exodus is not about freedom from Pharaoh to go and do what they want to do. God's not like, I freed you, run, do your thing, you be you, you do you, go. <laughs> that is not, that's not freedom at all. That's a, that's a strange kind of slavery. F- true freedom is that God creates us into the kind of people we were made to be, the kind of people he's freed us to be. It's a freedom journey from and for, from oppression and for worship and becoming a new kind of people. And this is why freedom is harder than it looks. This is why freedom is harder than it sounds. Because in our journey towards freedom, God has to teach Israel to trust him and not fall back to trusting that old, bad master, Pharaoh. The journey toward, the reason why it's like, I think this is the Christian journey is like we become followers of Jesus. There's a moment that happens when we choose, I will follow Christ. And at that moment, the Bible says that we're free, that we're saved, that we're in Christ. But then that, from that moment on, it's a journey towards greater freedom. Because God has to rewire us. God has to teach us. God has to reteach us. And it's a journey so we don't fall back to those old ways, those old patterns of destruction. And this is exactly what's happening Israel. It's just like leaving any addiction, any destructive relationship, any damaging habit, any disorder to serve and follow Jesus. It will be an arduous journey. It will be a long journey because God has to confront and break all our old ways of clinging to false gods and idols and habits and systems and thought patterns. How does God do this? How does God do this for Israel? I believe how God does this and breaks us from these old patterns is what we learn from our text. First, we see that God takes the long way around through the wilderness. Does anyone else know this? God never takes the direct route. God's like, "I I want you to become this. You're like, well, I can just go this way and become that right there. It's really easy, God. You just take me right, that's, I'm right there. I can just do that. And he's like, no, no, we're going to go the long way around. Look at verse 17 of chapter 13. When, we didn't read this in our opening text, but it's the chapter right before it. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Ah, you see? They're leaving. And where were they going, they're going to Canaan. That's where they were going. They're going to Canaan. And God's like, there's Canaan over there, but go, go this way. Like, wait, but Canaan's that way. No, 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 go this way. But that way's shorter and easy, it looks easier. No. And it says, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert or the wilderness road toward the Red Sea. See, God knows how to lead his people, he is the ultimate good shepherd. He knows how to get us from point A to point B and he knows what he's doing while on the way from point A to point B. See, the journey is not just about getting getting into Canaan, but it's about getting Egypt out of them. It's not just about going to Canaan, it's about getting Egypt completely out of their lives. It's about rewiring all of this stuff. God could have taken a direct route. He could have taken a straight shot from Egypt to Canaan but he didn't. Why? We are told it's because Israel, who had just left Egypt as free people, were fearful. They left bold, but they left fearful. They didn't know how to use their newfound freedom yet. They, weren't in, they were inexperienced in how to defend their new freedom. They were apprehensive, and therefore God led them through a route that made no sense to them. A route that would be longer. And I would even say in some ways more dangerous than the shorter route. This happened to me in my, in my own life. In my own marriage with things that I'm, I don't really, I'm not really ready to talk about them publicly yet. But years ago in the struggle of being married and all that that entails, there was a short route that Ash and I wanted to take. A short route to the things we wanted in life. Good things. Hopes, Canaan. But God said to us, we're going the long way around, not the direct route. That was almost 10 years ago. Now, I see see the wisdom in it right now. I did not see the wisdom of it 10 years ago, eight years ago, five years ago, two years ago. See, stories like this are not just stories that live in black and white on thin pages of your Bible. This is the way God leads. Often the long way around, through a wilderness, to teach us dependence, to undo things we picked up while being enslaved, to teach us how to live in God's family and not just to do what our families of origin taught us to do. God takes us the long way around a 40-year, 10-year, 3-year journey, however long, all the way around to get to where we're going because God's going to undo all these patterns on the route there. See, Israel is addicted to the cycle of a harsh order, oppression, and then regular food supplied by the empire. This is a very um, uh, uh, addicting, addictive cycle here. The combination of order and abuse and reward is powerful. And Israel has known the cycle for 400 years. They had the order of the empire. They had where they were to live marked out for them. They had food given to them as reward, but there was abuse as well. But at least they knew what to expect. I mean, at this, the core of many of our abuses and, uh, and addictions and disorders follow this same pattern. Order, abuse, reward. From an eating disorder to an abusive relationship, from workaholism to alcoholism. So you have order, you have ritual. Like an eating disorder, you, you have the ritual of counting calories and working out or and drinking, you have the ritual of going to a bar, or making yourself a drink, work, you have the ritual of going to work every single day, nonstop, uh, and, and, and relationships, you have this ritual of waking up or coming home to your abuser every single day. There's order. You know what to expect. There's also abuse. In this order, it brings chaos into your life. Emotional abuse, physical abuse, the abuse it takes on your body, your family, your church community. But there's also reward. It makes your body look and feel a certain way. You have the reward of achievement. You have the reward of numbing out. You have the reward of not being alone. Even though the person that you're with is abusive, at least you're not alone. And that's a deathly dangerous cycle and this is one that Israel was in for years and years and generations it was soul crushing but at least they knew what to expect so God leads them right up to the Red Sea because his leadership is about to destroy Israel's death dealing addiction to Pharaoh at the beginning of chapter 14 God tells Moses to go the long way around because he has a plan notice there's actually a whole plan to this God's just not going, hey, let's just go over there, go by the Red Sea. There's a whole plan to this. And the plan is this God would lead his people through towards the Red Sea when they should have been going the other way. And he would have been taking them through this long route that ended up in a dead end. And what Pharaoh would see is when Israel went that way, he would think Israel's confused and lost. And then they feel trapped. And Pharaoh, God said, I'll turn Pharaoh's heart hard, even, even harder than it is. And he's going to go after them. Ah, but I'm going to to be waiting for him. It's a trap. I'm trapping Pharaoh. I'm using his wicked heart to trap him. And the plan is Pharaoh will see that Israel's going the wrong way. And he's going to to chase after them. And he's he's going to try to destroy them. And the plan works perfectly. Pharaoh sees that Israel is lost and confused in the wilderness. And headed right to the Red Sea. That they're stuck and they're hemmed in. And there's no place to go. And it's a dead end. So he goes after them. He says, I'm not letting you go. Verse seven, he took 600 of his best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all over them. He brings his entire army, every single weapon of power he has, his chariots and his horsemen, which he's proud of. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea. Imagine if you're Israel at this moment. You're walking, you're free, but then you make a right when you should make a left. You're like, uh, I thought we were going that way. No, God said go this way. But you're going right to the ocean. Yeah, I know. Just that's what God wants to do. And right when you go to the, get to the shore and there's no place to go, You get right to the shore. There's no place to go, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were stuck at the Red Sea. There was nowhere to go. They turned around and Pharaoh and his whole army is behind them and they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? Like there were, there were being it's facetious. Of course there were graves in Egypt. Like, why did you, why, why this grave? What have you done to us by bringing us, bringing us out here? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Didn't we tell you, let us alone. Let us just be slaves. It would have been better for us to be slaves than to die here. Israel is caught between two masters, two loyalties. Israel is caught between their abuser and their freedom. And at the sight of these chariots, look at what happens. As soon as they see the chariots, their old life kicked back in. Their addictions kicked back in. They wanted to go back, they wanted to surrender to them. They know it was bad back there, they know it was dehumanizing to live in Egypt, but at least it was predictable. They could predict their future with Egypt. This is what would happen. They would be abused, they would be used for their labor, they would be fed, and then they would die. At least that's what they can expect. But this new thing that you're calling freedom, what, what do we even do with this? It was freedom that has led us to the stupidest place on earth. We're stuck here now. There's no place to go. There's no way out. See, one of the reasons it's very difficult to sustain the revolution of freedom it's because you lose all the benefits of the old system well before there's any tangible benefits of what is promised. You are caught in, a, in the middle. The, it's hard to sustain it because you, loo- you lose all the benefits of this old system. You lose the security of it. You lose the leaks and the, and the food and all the good food of, of this old system way before any of the tangible benefits of what's promised is there yet. This happens with so many of our addictions and enslavements. We leave behind workaholism and we don't get the benefit of a rested, integrated soul because that comes way later. So we're stuck in the middle like, yeah, I'm not working as much. I'm trying to take a day off. I'm trying to Sabbath, but now I'm just, I feel lonely. Now I feel insignificant. I'm not rested and integrated. I'm just angry. You're stuck in the middle like I'd much rather go back just working a lot because that felt a lot better. You're, you're just like you're, this is why it's hard to sustain the revolution of freedom. This is why whenever, when I first started taking true like rest like Sabbath rest, I would get depressed every single Sabbath. I was caught in the middle that, that new rewiring of resting in the Lord had not kicked in yet and it, my, it was like actually over a year later before I learned how to do that. We leave behind our addictions to promiscuity and pornography, and we leave behind the benefits and the rush of the cheap, quick intimacy that it brings. And we're stuck in the middle. We have to relearn what true intimacy is. The intimacy we wanted really all along, and that might take years. And so we leave behind promiscuity, and we leave behind pornography, and then we're stuck in the middle. We're like, I just—I think I just want to go back. That was was such a quick hit. It 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 might have been really quick, cheap intimacy, but at least it was intimacy. And now I'm caught in the middle where I don't know what true intimacy is. And it takes years for you to relearn that. And you're stuck in the middle. And all the while, we're stuck on the shores of the Red Sea. And we feel like there's no way forward. Israel has left behind Egypt, but has no real tangible benefits from what is promised. And they're there. And they're stuck in the middle. And look what it says in verse 10. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. Now, what's fascinating about this is that they don't cry out to the Lord. They didn't know how to cry out to the Lord. They didn't know how to. It says they cried out to the Lord, but they didn't. The only name that Israel can utter on the, on the shores of the Red Sea was the name of Egypt. They didn't know how to say, Lord, Lord, Lord. All they knew how to say was Egypt. On the shore, they used the name of Egypt five times. They said, where are no gra- there no graves in Egypt? Why bring us out of Egypt? What did we say to you when we were in Egypt? Let us serve Egypt. It would have been better to serve Egypt. Why? What's happening? Because that's the only name they know. That's the only name upon which they can rely. The only name they have, they have forcefully learned to call out to See, it says they cried out to the Lord, but they didn't. They didn't know how. They didn't know what that even looked like. The name on their lips was still Egypt, 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 Egypt. See, God takes Israel the long way around and brings them right up to the Red Sea because he has to reteach them. When we're stuck in the middle, sometimes all we can say is, why did I leave pornography? Why did I leave promiscuity? Why did I leave that abusive relationship? Why did I leave drinking? Why did I leave that behind? And you're just because and 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 you feel stuck in this middle place, and the only thing you can you your mouth can utter is what you lost. And God's taking you the long way around to bring you right up to this Red Sea moment because He has to reteach you as well. Like with Israel, He has to teach them what it means that God can be depended upon. God can be trusted, what it means that God can fight for them. And Israel is backed up against the Red Sea, and to them, there are only two options. These are the options that they have at the Red Sea. We can be slaves or we can die. So they choose slaves. Let's just go back. It would have been better to be slaves. We're going to be slaves or die. Let's do do the slave thing again. But Moses finally steps in and says, don't factor God out. Your equation is all wrong. It's not just you and your captors. It's not just you and your problems. God is a part of this and watch what he will do. Moses has to bring the name of God back into the equation. Look at verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians that you see today, you'll never see again. God will deal with them once and for all. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, by the way, at that last word, you only need to be still. This is not one of those like meditation, ooh, be still and know that I am the Lord. That is not this at all. The word in Hebrew is shut up. (laughs) Sometimes you don't need that sort of like, hey, meditate, man. You just need to shut up. (laughs) Don't you know that there is a God? Don't you know that God is for you? Don't you know that God will fight for you? This is not a be still verse. This is a shut up verse. This is Moses saying, calm down and you need to watch. Everybody watch. Pay, this is a pay attention verse. Notice that there is another presence in your crisis that you had neither noticed nor acknowledged in in your fear. This is Moses saying, hey, shut up. Just realize that God is here as well the lord and look what the lord says i love this the lord said to moses why are you crying out to me this is funny to me because because they they're all everyone's kind of crying out and god's like i i told you what to do keep moving keep moving Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and I will divide the waters and the Israelites will go through the sea on, the, on dry ground. Keep moving. Go on. Don't get stuck here. Don't get stuck at a place where you're like, I, uh, there's, there's death or going back to my old life. Those are the only two options. Don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck there because the, there, there is God in your midst as well. David Mamet, the Uh, Jewish American playwright and film director and author said in a commencement speech at the University of Vermont. It's commencement speech season, so here you go. He said, quote, on June 5th, 1944, thousands of American paratroopers jumped into Normandy. Four men refused to jump. Can you imagine, can anyone imagine the rest of these men's lives? What Prodigies of self-excuse, rationale, or oppression they must have had to employ. Their lives, in effect, ended the moment they refused to leave the plane, As would the lives of the Jews had they refused to go into the sea. As yours and mine, and as they do in part, when we each refuse the opportunity to change, we stagnate and perform ever greater prodigies of repression and hypocrisy to explain uh, to ourselves why we don't immerse ourselves in the mysteries of life. We all die in the end, but there is no reason to die in the middle. God is saying, don't die here. Don't die in the middle. You had just left. You just left. You're free, but you're not free yet. Keep walking. Walk right into the sea and I will part the waters. And God parts the sea. The Red Sea saves Israel but destroys Egypt. The sea, the thing that they were so afraid of, saves is the vehicle for salvation for Israel but the destruction of, uh, of Pharaoh. In verse 31... They get to the other side and all they see on the seashore are just dead Egyptians. Their army completely wiped out, their horses, their chariots, gone. In verse 31 it says, and when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses his servant. Now, now they trust the Lord. Now the name on their lips will be the Lord. Now they will. They had to learn this though. These lessons don't come easy. This moment where they thought a total collapse of everything that they had hoped for was on the brink of being lost. They they wanted to take the direct route. But this never comes to the direct route. This is the way God works. And this is why freedom is a journey. This is why this is one of the best pictures we have of the Christian life. We are free people as Christians. As followers of Jesus, we are free people who are mover, moving towards greater freedom. This is why in the New Testament, this account is used to draw an analogy between what happened to Israel at the sea and what happens to Christians in baptism. 1 Corinthians 10 Paul says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud. That's the cloud that led them. And that they all passed through the sea, the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that going through the water for Israel was their baptism. This was their baptism. And like our baptism as Christians, it's about leaving behind an old way of life a life of bondage to sin and death, and entering into a whole new mode of existence. It's a move toward trust, a move towards dependence, a move towards greater and greater freedom in Christ as we submit to his leadership. This is, this is their baptism. This is like the old life is gone. Behold, all things become new. Now walk through and trust in God, your Savior. Being a Christian is moving out of one country, moving into another country. This is the journey of being being a follower of Jesus. It's saying yes to Christ and at that moment our sins are forgiven and we're free in Christ. And we're on a journey towards greater and greater freedom into a whole new country, a whole new way of living and being before God. Being a Christian is also about singing. this This isn't a non sequitur, by the way. You might think that singing has nothing to do with it all, but it has everything to do with it. See, the Bible is built around two songs in the Bible. The first song is right here. This is the first recorded song in the Bible. And this is the first recorded time you get the word salvation in the Bible. The the, the Bible is built around this song, the song of Moses and the song of Miriam, and then the song of Mary, Jesus' mother. And both of the songs are songs of deliverance. Both are about God bringing deliverance to his people. See, you and I can't just read the Bible. We have to sing the Bible. We can't just recall our deliverance. We have to sing our deliverance. We can't just say we trust in Jesus. We have to sing that we trust in Jesus. This is, this is, this is why they sing. They get to the other side of the seashore. Can you imagine? They get to the other side. They're just dead army people everywhere. You're like, oh, and you start singing a song. Yes. This, that's what comes up out of them. This is what happens to them. And so Chris Wright says, the permanent memorial to the Exodus is not some stone statue sunk into the sands of Sinai to commemorate the victory of Israel over Egypt. No, it is the song of Moses celebrating the victory of Yahweh over the human and divine forces of oppression and the injustice and the proclaiming his universal reign into the unlimited future. Truly, the Lord is enthroned, not on pillars of stone, but on the praises of Israel. They sing that God has saved me. We will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver. Things that pursued us to destroy us and oppress us have been hurled into the sea. And the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. He is my father's God and I will exalt him. Amen. And so we move in our own deliverance, we move from song to song. We move from a place of like remembering and recalling our deliverance through singing. That is part, you probably wonder like, why do you guys sing so much at this church? It's like the sermon's a break to sing more songs. You, you get this into your bones through singing. You get you get the, the deliverance of God through song. This is this is how this is how it's done. It's how it's always been done. And so we move now to a place of, of singing and responding to God through song. And as we do that, I don't I don't know what I can't even imagine the things that might be coming up for you. But whatever it is, I, I really believe that it it, it it it's a spirit of God. Drawing you to himself, drawing you to a place of of trust in him and surrender to him and rewiring. Maybe some of you are stuck in that middle place I was talking about. And maybe it was at the beginning of the year and now come June you've kind of completely fallen off of it. But maybe there's a point in your walk with Christ where you're like, I'm done with that thing. I'm done with that thing. But now the comfort or losing the comfort of that thing, you want to go back to it really bad. Maybe you have gone back to it in several different ways and you feel stuck in the middle. Don't die there. Don't die there. Move forward. God's deliverance is coming. It might take four or five years for that to be rewired into your heart for you to learn true intimacy again, for you to, to learn um, uh, uh, interdependence versus codependence. I don't know, but I know that God has us on a journey and it's, it's, us, it's, it's us not getting stuck there and saying yes to like the deliverance of God. Let's pray, Lord, thank you that you are the God who saves. And I pray our songs today, our prayers today will be directed to a God who hears us and who's acting on our behalf. And not on just our behalf, but on behalf of the whole world. Our stories are part of a larger story these Israelites, though you cared for them, God, they were a part of you moving the mission of God forward. In our stories, though they're small, they're not insignificant, but they're also not everything. We're a part of a grander story that you're moving forward. And so, Lord, we sing, we respond to you. I pray for those that need to see certain aspects of deliverance in their own lives and maybe even just what's happened already has been an answer to their prayers. But we pray for more, God. And possibly a prophetic word from somebody sitting next to them or around them. Maybe the comfort of someone walking up and praying for them. Maybe the peace that comes from receiving communion and being united with you in intimacy, God bring your peace now i'm so I, I i know i know how addictions and disorders ravish us how they won't let us go they keep coming after us again and again just when we think we're free they're after us again deliver lord break those systemic chains of disorders and oppression here in this in this room break them off completely god we need your salvation Do that, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.